For everything you want to know about real estate, it's time to take action. Schedule today. Ron and Don sit down.com is the way. Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. (laughs) Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 151 of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. He's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Neill. And don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere, and we have a brand new website out. We do. It's called ronadonsitdown.com. We just did a couple sit-downs today. It's always fun hearing people's stories that have listened to the Ron and Don Show for years and years, and now they're saying, hey, you guys have some expertise in real estate. I'm in it. Usually they're in a quandary. And uh, usually folks need just some clarity. What are my options? What's my property worth? How do I get from here to there? And I always like what you ask, where are you going? Because once we figure out this problem, we don't want to put you into a different set of problems, and now you don't have a house. So uh, Rondon Sit Down is the place to start. Send us your info, your address, and we will uh, hook you up with a Zoom call. So cool. Hey, uh, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, episode 151. And again, yes, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. Uh, we're going to talk about Mayor Jenny Durkin. And a lot of people feel like she should lose her job here in the great state of Washington in the city of Seattle should she lose her job and she's taking this all the way to the state supreme court now uh, asking uh, for permission to continue to be the mayor in the city of Seattle which is really extraordinary speaking of the city of Seattle all the policing that's going on here uh, Ron's going to share a story with you about the 400 what is it $414,000 cop is that yes, right? that is true yeah. 414 grand in, 19, in 2019. That is unbelievable. Uh, before we get to that, though, let's get to this. A lot of kiddos going back to school this week. I know that my son is. Uh, we had a pretty tough conversation in the car. He's very disappointed uh, that he's not going to see his friends in the flesh, that he's not going to be playing with them on the playground. He went through told me all the things that he misses about school, his friends. He said he really misses his teachers. And this has given him great appreciation now. Uh, which is really unusual for a kid going into fifth grade. Great yeah. appreciation for teachers, for the schools, for moms and dads, for principals. And You know what? I, just for a second, I want to commend you and your son uh, for being way more emotionally aware than I was when I was 25. Uh, the vocabulary he has and this comfort he has mm-hmm. around expressing himself is extraordinary. So good job out of you. Thanks. <clears throat> and now I want to interview you like I'm Ed Bradley. Has what has the as the school system provided for you as a parent as any sort of resource? Because uh, from a guy with no kids on the outside looking in, I'm sitting here scratching my head, going, "How is a parent supposed to do this?" I think of you. I think of Emily in our office that has three kids at different grades. Hmm. Uh, our friend Wes has two children at different ages, so they're so, so I think about uh, the different subjects, the different homework, the different classes, the different devices. Um, each kid has to have their own computer. So for a lot of families, if you have two, three, four kids all in different grades. Uh, you have to have a, a really good Wi-Fi system to do four simultaneous Zoom calls all day long. So we're talking just the Wi-Fi, the devices, the time. How are they? What are they providing for you to say? If you're in the service industry, or you're in medical. 
You can't be in two places at once. Yeah. Who is teaching your kid? Well, let me ask you this. We did two run and done sit downs today. And when I get done with those, I'm exhausted. And that was <laughs> me too. And that was just a couple hours. Now what we're doing is we're asking really young brains. Like my son's 10 years old. We're asking these really young brains. And we heard about all the damage that can happen when you sit in front of a computer screen. And now we're asking them to sit in front of a computer screen five, six, seven, in some cases, eight hours a day. And for me, last year it was different. Our principal her name is Virginia. She reached out to all of all the parents and she said, you know, I'll be honest with you. We aren't ready for this and we don't have a lot of great teaching tools. And what we like to do is for your child to continue to learn as best they can uh, and spend about an hour and a half, maybe a day working on schoolwork. And we did much more than that, maybe three to four hours a day. But then we were only in touch with his school teacher twice a week on a 40 minute Zoom call. This year it's gonna be different, a lot more time on screen. Children are expected to be in front of that screen. And what happened here in Seattle, a lot of kids just stopped showing up. We have to remember the brain is a muscle. This is creating a lot of trauma for you, me, all of us. This is creating a lot of trauma. Ninety-four percent of students are, are doing remote learning. Yeah, yeah, right now. But again, any resources? So, if, let's say you are a lower income. Uh, let's say you are two parents that need to work out of the house or a single mother uh, where you have to work a job. What what are they supposed to do? You know, a lot of that is left to the parents to kind of figure up, uh, figure out and left with your, your tribe, wow. your family, your people, your community, uh, your connection. And I think what you're going to see, uh, like I have a friend, for instance, and her son is with five of his other buddies and they get together and that's how they're going to do school every day but they're multi-millionaires so this is something they have a dedicated spot in their house where they can do that and she has a dedicated spot where she can work and her husband can work so they can pull this off you're right ron if you don't have the resources it's going to be very very tough especially for working parents it's going to be very very tough to, to hold your, your child accountable the only way your child is going to learn this year is if whoever the caregiver is whoever the parent is especially with younger kids they have to be very involved involved and i'm ready to tell the teachers at any point in time that hey we're going to pull the plug on this and if we have to do fifth grade all over again then we'll do fifth grade all over what i'm not going to do is i'm not going to allow a full year of this to take place because everybody keeps kicking the can down the road a lot of this is because we have politicians in place right now that want to share all this good news and there's not good news right now when it comes to the vaccine maybe we'll We'll see some good news in 2021, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we have to really, really understand the trauma that this is creating for these young brains, the trauma that it is creating for families trying to pull this off. And I think every once in a while, you're just going to need to communicate with that teacher and well, say, we need a mental health day. Yeah. We're not showing up on a, on, a, on a Zoom camera today. We're just not. Well, and the other thing that I think about is the, the more I'm trying to educate myself about other cu- cultures and other uh, proximity, like you, you've talked about in the last episode, there's a tremendous amount of kids. And my father was one of these kids. His guaranteed one meal a day, because he had an alcoholic father, uh, was at school. And so, this is my own family. Uh, His guaranteed one square a day was at school. For a lot of kids now, that's two squares. A lot of kids get a a breakfast and a lunch where they rely on that uh, for for their meal. And I know there's a lot of political backlash about that. I'm never going to blame the child. If a parent can't pay for a meal, I'm never going to penalize that kid. 
kid, give the kid his food. All right, give a child the food. The other thing for families, uh, and this is a word you used before too, where they're living with the lesser of two douchebags, mm-hmm. um, the only stable adults they see uh, are at school. The only role models they might have are at school. The only time that um, they might get structured physical activity could be at school. The only time that an adult maybe gets down on one knee and looks them in the eye and says, how are you doing? Or can I give you a hug? Or you're doing a good job. Or I'm proud of you happens at school. And like those moments uh, are slipping through the hands. Now you have stressed out parents We've seen the divorce rate rise. We've seen uh, domestic violence calls go up. Uh, we've seen... The murder rate in Seattle has never been higher. Murder rate is it's the incredible. highest it's been in years. Yeah. Uh, uh, substance abuse has gone up. Mm-hmm. People are trying to cope in their own ways. Where do you think that energy goes to for someone that has no skills? It's going to fall down under their kid. And, and so I look at this, and, and that to me is unacceptable. Like I... I and I'm gonna, you're going to laugh at me when I do this. I don't mind paying the taxes that I pay without kids, knowing that a lot of it goes to the schools because of that reason. Like, like there was a time in my life where I was like, why am I paying all these taxes? I don't have anybody in school. Like, I'm not, why am I paying for all this school teachers and all the, you right. know, everything? Cause I, I don't know, like just fix the roads. Like that's what I use. Like I, that was my mentality for years. And now it's like, you know what? If I'm, contributing to society and paying a lot in taxes more than I think is my fair share. Uh, if it's providing meals and structure and physical activity and all the things I just mentioned to kids that are on the margins, that's money well spent Th- to the fact that the plan is, Hey, figure it out. Log into zoom. Uh, that's very alarming to me. Yeah. It's very tough. It, it, it's very tough on the human brain and just all, all the adults in our audience, uh, if you're using Zoom a lot or if you're online a lot, you're in front of a screen a lot, you know what I'm talking about. You know the fatigue. Uh, in fact, I see it in Ron. We get to Fridays and he's on a computer screen so much in our real estate business. It turns you into a different human. It, it really does. And then you go up to the tiny cabin you get away from it. You put all your screens down. You build a fire. You come back. But you're an adult. To have a child navigate this, and let's not forget, a lot of children are navigating uh, their own own education sometimes. There, there are parents out there that just, they put their child on a bus and then that's it. And I'm not saying they're checked out, but they're off working. And sometimes they're working two jobs or they're working three jobs. And so they are dependent on the school system to provide meals, provide childcare, to provide uh, great teaching. And, and we've uh, all met those people that, I just met a young person the other day uh, whose folks, their English is a second language. So the child is the family translator. The child is the family scheduler because um, she was the one that would have to, you know, when there's a doctor's appointment or direct. So she's sort of her own parent in that regard. And her parents are working hard to, to put a roof over her head and food on the table. But like that child needs the structure of a school. So that this is going to be. Uh, difficult. I, I commend you for the effort it's going to take because I know uh, you never let it bleed out into our work, um, and I know it's a it's it's a lot. Yeah, it's a thanks. lot to carry. Thank you. And like to the Emilys of the world that have three kids, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, and and still be productive and happy and smile. And she sent me an email the other day. It's like, how are you? How does that even work? <laughs> how in the world can you have three little kids? Like I don't know how she does it. I really don't. Yeah. Anyway, hey, we come back. We're going to talk about a local police officer 
made $414,000 last year. And did you know in order to do that, you would have to work some days, and there's only 24 hours in a day, so how could he get credit for 25, 28, or 30 hours in a day? It really is incredible. We'll talk about it next right here. Lorana Doncio, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. When it comes to your real estate journey, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. Hi, I'm Dan Martin. Hi, I'm Terry Detmer. Hey, I'm Connor. My son wanted to get out of Pullman. I thought, well, let's start looking in Seattle. And we don't know about in Seattle, and I kind of I had grown to to trust the image of Ron and Don. You know, doing their their advocacy for all the charities and stuff that they do. And I thought, well, they seem like good guys. Let's go for it. They sent a message in their little portal. Got a message back within about five minutes from Don, and he set up a phone conference for about a half hour later, and both he and Ron were on the phone conference talking to me exactly what we wanted and what price range and what neighborhoods, and about two days later, we were out touring houses with him. So I was impressed with how quickly they got on it for us, and they were always responded immediately anytime I contacted them. So I've got two Alaskan Malamutes. I was surprised how quickly, especially after meeting with Don, how quickly they kind of zeroed into what I was looking for and being that it was a house for me and the dogs, that they zeroed in on fenced yard, basement access if possible. It felt really good knowing that they were looking for what I was looking for or what we were looking for. And the other thing is we were live on the other side of the water and so we were having to take a ferry over. They were very cognizant of that and they didn't want us to waste ferry trips. There were houses we were interested in. They would go and preview them if we wanted. One time Ron went and then FaceTimed us as he walked through several houses for us so that we wouldn't have to come over and waste the trip. We looked at our figures and looked at, at stuff. We thought, okay, we can afford to offer this amount and we were way low. So when it came to this one, Ron and Don said, if we go in hot with a decent offer and and he learned that this house had an offer on it. He said, if we go in at this amount, we think we can we think we can jump ahead and have people close before uh, they intended to. And sure enough, it worked out. I don't think we would have like necessarily found this house or been as successful with another realtor or doing it without, I can't imagine doing it without a realtor. I don't think we'd have this house if, if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. We wouldn't have gotten this house if they hadn't shown the energy and I guess using their skills and everything to make it happen. It wouldn't have happened. We would have still been looking around and every weekend being underbid. And they seemed personally interested in the houses we would tour. I think both of them said at some point when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to jump in and make this the house for us. It, they seemed very enthused for uh, you know a deal to get done and for us to be successful. And that felt really good. They were passionate and they, they were just honest and straightforward and uh, no, everything's great. Uh, you know, I definitely would recommend them. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. guys are you ready for the best show in the pacific northwest here's my dad to his boyfriend and friend all right you guys uh, welcome back to the ron and don show episode 151 and don't forget we're licensed brokers at windermere if you'd like to sit down with us let's do it ron and don sit is the website that's ron and don sit down.com a lot of talk about policing uh and we all have to remember that there's a lot of people out there that want to defund the police. But because the police right now are being used so much 
in cities like Seattle, in cities like Portland, places like Chicago, and New Orleans, and, and really around the U.S., cops right now, a lot of cops are making more money than they've ever made in their entire lives because of all the overtime. Anytime there's a protest in downtown Seattle, do you know what's happening in other parts of the city? Uh, State Patrol is getting lined up on I-5 because they know those marchers, the coup de grace of marchers, is to see if they can get on an interstate and bust onto an interstate. So you have all these State Patrol officers that are at home or they're heading home, and now they got to turn those cars around, and they have to sit there and wait sometimes till 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning working overtime because they're so fearful of these protesters getting out on I-5, someone getting killed, which is exactly what happened a couple weeks ago. Same here in the, the city of Seattle. Uh, my friend Eric, who was the uh, commander uh, for the precinct up north, has now just been assigned to the east precinct. And we see there's more issues now at the east precinct, as the police there are saying that someone came along, tried to pin them in uh, to the east precinct, and they were thinking about trying to firebomb that thing and kill officers while they were inside. So I know that's something that Eric is very concerned about because that's his precinct now, and I know it's something that we're all concerned about because it's in a very dense neighborhood. Nonetheless, uh, there are lots of cops out there that are doing great work in our community, you guys. They really are. They are doing great work in our community. And then there's some cops out there that are making so much money and working so much I just wonder when you're when you're putting in the kind of time, if you're putting in the kind of time to make four hundred and fourteen thousand dollars, how can you even think straight when you are back on shift somewhere like the East Precinct? And here come the protesters. So this is a, a really deep investigative piece by the Seattle Times, and I want to give them credit because the amount of hours it had to take to go through and tabulate all this stuff, it had to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of man hours. So that's why I, I pay for journalism. Real quick, so the guy in question is named Ron Morgan Willis, and I want to do two things before we dive into this and get out outraged. Number one is... I am not opposed to people pushing edges as long as you're doing it with ethics. So if you have a guy that, because my brain works this way, if I figure out the rule book and I know it inside and out, and I'm going to push the margins to maximize what's fair. And take the risk. That you, and take the risk associated with it. As yeah. long as I'm doing that ethically and it's not, I'm not taking advantage uh, of someone else or putting them down so that I can benefit, I don't have a problem with that. So if you think, let's I'm going to take football, for example. We've all seen those trick plays where uh, a, a guy picks up the ball and everyone just sort of stands around and then they'll throw a pass downfield because the defense thought the play was dead. If it's in the rule book and you can get away with it and score a touchdown, good for you. Like, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. They've, they've figured out, and Bill Belichick did this a lot, and he would get lampooned. If you figure out a loophole in the rules and you exploit it and nobody else could figure it out, good for you. So I want to say that up front. Second thing before we dive into the stats here, this is the very last paragraph of this like really long article. A citizen who joined Willis for a lot, ride along last year was impressed with his patience. Uh, Ron Morgan Willis, the guy that made the four hundred grand, he explains so many things patiently and in depth, taking the time to help me develop a better understanding of the work police officers do. According to the, the summary of this ride along, his empathy for a troubled man we encountered was obvious. He treated that man with patience and compassion. So it appears. like like this is a cop that is good at his job mm -hmm. so i just want to get that out there i i don't think in my impression of him is that he's not he's not smarmy it seems like he's a 58 year old 
police veteran, seems like he's figured out the system and that he's maximizing the system that exists. It, no, there's not a, a line in here that says he's breaking the rules, that he is being underhanded, that he is double dealing or, or doing something that's unethical. They're just saying he's made a lot of money. So that's the allegation. Dude made a lot of money. And he made $414,543 in 2019. And he drank a lot of bang in and, order to do it. And he, wor- he worked 4,149 hours, which averaged out to a 79-hour work week. So on its face, if you just said, there's a cop that averaged 79 hours a week and he made a lot of money. If he did it above boards and he has good reviews, there's not a bunch of complete uh, complaints against him, I'm going to say... That's a dude with a work ethic. We know people that like to work. And so if, if that's the story, fine. Now, if we want to get into the loopholes and how you can, can book 30 hours of work in one calendar day and whether or not the, the city of Seattle has a good auditing system, whether or not we think it's fair that some of these hours, if uh, there's a, a union agreement where if you hire a cop, you can't hire a cop for one hour. It's a minimum of three hours. Uh, that makes sense. I got to put on my uniform. It's after hours. I got to drive out to your event and I get there. I'm not going to work for 15 minutes and then go get paid for 15 minutes. Uh, you get paid for three hours. They have a minimum requirement. So some of these, maybe he figured out, it's like, oh, I'll go take the one hour gigs. I'm going to get billed for three because that's what the rule book says, but I'm only going to work one. So that's a guy, to me, that's a guy that's just being smart. If he's like, I'll scoop up all the one hour gigs. I'm going to get paid triple time for that plus time and a half on the hourly, that's just being savvy. I don't think that's not rule breaking. That's what the contract says. You got to pay me for three, even if I work one minute. And so I'm going to work all those jobs and get paid more. I don't know if he did that, but that's an example to me that I don't have a problem with because he didn't write that contract. He just understands the contract and he's willing to jump through those hoops to, to rack up the hours. Yeah. The, the difficulty that, that I have with it is it's just not safe. It is not, and I have cop friends that do this, and I have shared these stories before where they'll take sick leave, so they're getting paid on sick leave, and then they'll go work somewhere while they're supposedly sick and not doing their shit. And they get time and a half. Yeah. So they're now making money from sick leave, and now they're making money too, uh, time and a half if they're on a job, uh, let's say at a Whole Foods. You see cops there all the time at a Whole Foods, just working an overtime shift. My concern especially with all these protests going on right now, especially when there's a big concern about over-policing, defunding police, uh, changing the way that we police. And also, uh, if you're going to walk around with a badge and a gun and you are going to face confrontation each and every day, you got to be sharp. You have to be real sharp. And there's no way in my mind that you can sit here because a lot of these cops will work a 10, 12-hour shift and then they'll turn around and go do another 10, 12-hour shift. And then they'll go back and do their 10, 12-hour shift. I talked to a cop two weeks ago about this. And what he used to do to bring on all these hours is he would just sleep out in his car for two, three hours at a time and then go back on shift. A lot of them, I said, and I made the reference, they love bang. They drink a lot of bang. They drink a lot of coffee. And at some point, I just think with the loss of sleep, 
with the pressure right now and the trauma that police officers are going through that nobody talks about. Nobody talks about the kind of trauma that this is creating for officers, especially young officers, especially young officers that are black and brown officers. I talked to officers that were there a number of months ago when things were happening at the East Precinct here in Seattle. And they were pushed to a point emotionally where they were just emotionally broke by what happened as the protesters came after them wave after wave after wave. And they're sitting there not only concerned for their own safety, but for the safety of the other officers and also the crowd there that they're supposed to be protecting. But you got to believe like that has that has an incredible effect. And you want to make sure when somebody shows up because they're a riot that they're fresh and ready to go. You can't be fresh and ready to go and have a gun on your hip and have the authority to pull that out and to shoot somebody or to kill somebody or to stop somebody and stop that target. You, you, you. You, you can't be sleepy. You can't be weary on the job. And that's my concern for an officer like this. Well, if we want to artificially cap their income or, or superimpose like what pilots do, pilots can only fly a certain number of hours within a certain time frame, or truck drivers a lot of times can only drive a certain number of hours within a certain time frame, even though we all know they go around that a lot. Um, if we're going to do that, that, people respond to incentives. I think many, I have a friend that just, just became a cop. This was part of the incentive because he did his homework. He's like, oh, wow. Right. Like my median income is going to be 152 grand, but then if I work another 5 600 hours that year, then I'm I'm up over, you know, 250 300, like that they know that. So you're going to be it's going to be even harder to recruit people has, if you cap the hours. Yeah. And you know what, and this has to do with your retirement too, cuz what they're going to do is they're going to take your five biggest, I think it's five or six five biggest uh consecutive years and that's how that's reflective in your retirement. We saw Carmen Best just went through that. Seattle Times also reported that she had called months ago to find out what her retirement was going to be. And I think her concern, and one of the reasons she may have left the department, is if they docked her pay, how would that reflect, uh, reflect in her retirement overall? So I think for a lot of police officers, they're thinking about that too. So again, I think cops should have the right to work. I think they should have the, the, the right to be on the hustle and to go make extra money. And we need them. We have so many construction jobs that are happening uh, here. We need we need cops to come out and, and be in the community. Uh, we need them at Seahawk games and, and, and if we have some Seahawk games this year. But what we don't need is we don't need weary cops. We just don't need that. And, and to me, to put a bow around it, I just think sometimes my son and I just went on this road trip and I'm driving this old Westphalia with no power steering. There's no AC. Uh, we're over east of the mountains. It's 97 degrees and we were still having a ball. But I will tell you, after I got done, one day I drove that van for nine hours straight. And when I got done with that, I was so weary and so jittery just from the coffee that I was drinking just to hang in there and, 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 and stay behind that wheel. I have to wonder what it's like for cops when you're behind a wheel of a cruiser for eight to 10 hours a day, and then you go work a detail, and then you're back the next morning working another 10 hours. All right. Hey, we come back uh, real quick. Mayor Jenny Durkin, a lot of people think she shouldn't be the mayor in Seattle anymore. We'll talk about that next. Ron Don Show. Hey, you guys, if you like our podcast, you might like another podcast. Uh, it's called GeekWire. And the cool thing about GeekWire is they cover technology 
and they cover all the big names. They do some incredible interviews with the likes of Steve Ballmer, Bill Gates, and I love their mantra too. Their mantra is, what happens in Seattle? Well, it matters everywhere. It does, and I really like Todd Bishop. He runs the show over there. GeekWire is a website and a podcast. It drops every week on Apple, Stitcher, your favorite podcast app. Check these guys out. GeekWire, if you're into technology, if you want to be in the know for what's happening here in the big tech boom of Seattle, it's GeekWire. Ron and Don from radio to real estate. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. Episode 151 of the Ron and Don Show, live from the Les Schwab Studios. This is now before the state Supreme Court in Washington State. Uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin, should she lose her jobs? She said she should not. She said during the riots, specifically the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, and what was happening and has been happening continues to happen here in Seattle. She said everything that she did was very reasonable, and that's what she is telling the state Supreme Court in a number of letters today. What are your thoughts on Mayor Jenny Durkin, and do you think she's in a position right now where she could lose her job as mayor? Well, to frame this up, what, what happened is a lawsuit was filed to do a recall, and what the recall means is that if they get enough signatures, a quarter of the votes that happened, then they would take it to an up-down vote to the public, and if she loses that vote, she would be removed, and I believe Lorena Gonzalez would be installed uh, as the mayor. So it's, it's not as simple as she's going to lose her job tomorrow or not lose her job. So she is saying to the Supreme Court, this is a specious lawsuit by some people who are just mad at how these protests went down. And so even if they get the 50,000 signatures, it's kind of a non-starter because what I did was within the law and within what I was required to do. And so the other side is saying, no, you did a horrible job. You were under a decree to not use chemical deterrence and chemical deterrence were used. And then Jenny Durkin goes back because she's a lawyer and says, well, that's not what it said. It said that there was a loophole where the chief of police had discretion. The chief of police used the discretion. So um, she's like, I'm the mayor. I'm in charge of the police force, but I'm going to let the police chief do the job. So that's sort of how this thing, there's a lot of technicalities in it, but the larger picture here to me is as a community how do we want safety to be enforced and so we look at Kenosha Wisconsin for instance where the president just showed up injected himself into that um, did not condemn the the 17 year old that shot two people with an AR-15 and did not say the name of the black man that was shot seven times didn't wear a mask and didn't wear a mask so that happened so you look at that situation and you go okay um, do we want that style of vigilante justice on the streets of Seattle? I would say no. We saw that in Portland where a, a man was just shot from the Patriot Prayer Group or whatever that, that organization was called. I, I don't like vigilante, militia-style people showing up locked and loaded and just walking the streets protecting property. Like I, I don't like that. That's not the style of justice I want. Um, I also don't necessarily like it when you are tear gassing people that are pro that are protesting peacefully and so this is where it gets tricky a portion you have 98 point percent of people marching that are peaceful they might be agitated and they might be yelling slogans or holding up signs or getting in the face of, of a guy in a riot gear i consider that peaceful 
Um, you, you know, do not have to be carrying daisies down the street to be peaceful. Then you're going to have people that are then breaking windows, lighting cars on fire, uh, tipping over mailboxes. Though that is when, when you start to destroy property or threaten violence, now you're not peaceful anymore. And so you mix in the 1% or the 2% of people that are doing that. And now it's easy to say, oh, well, this is a bunch of rioters. It's not a bunch of rioters. How do we want to police that? How do we want to enforce the peace? What about the people who live in that building that is being surrounded and, and dumpster fires are being lit? What about them? What's their right as a property owner? And so that's the argument at stake here. Um, should Mayor Jenny Durkin done a better job? I think so. Um, was it within her power to do that? I don't know. She sort of intonated that it's like, this is pretty unprecedented. There's not a manual at City Hall that says during a pandemic when the largest racially motivated protest in, in many years breaks out, here's what you do. You have to make it up on the fly. I don't think she did a stellar job, but I, it could have been worse. It could have been Kenosha. Yeah. It could have been New Orleans. It could have been Dallas. It could have been Houston. It could have been Milwaukee. Uh, it could have been Boston. It could have been Miami. Like, it could have been Georgia or Alabama. You know, there are cities that did it worse than we did it. Yeah, I think she'll keep her job. I think where she will lose her job uh, when someone runs against her is it's the summer of love. That is going to come back to bite her. And also the exiting of Carmen Vest. What really happened there? Uh, and did the mayor try to get her to stay? Or did the mayor push her out? Because the mayor was feeling the heat about this particular issue. And maybe if Carmen Vest is, is not around, we don't have to worry about this uh, anymore. So I think she's not good in front of a television camera. She's not good in front of a crowd. She's not good with a microphone in her hand. And you have to be. That's part of the job. That is part of the job. If you're going to be a leader of people and you're going to lead this city, you have to be able to stand up, express yourself, and you also have to be willing to literally, well, not literally, but figuratively, uh, stand in there and take the bullets. And she doesn't like doing that. She tries to be all things to all people, and you can't be. And the, and the reason I bring that up is we had a mayor that was telling us you know, at the beginning of the year that we have the greatest police department in the country. We've been following this federal decree for almost 10 years. And now we're at the end of it. And they wrote some letters and they said, hey, they asked the federal judge, we, we're, we got this. And it seemed like the federal judge was agreeing with that. And then all of a sudden this happens. And what Jenny doesn't tell you is... There aren't a lot of officers on patrol in the city of Seattle anyway. So if you think there's too few cops now, there are. And then on top of that, uh, you're going to start firing black and brown young officers that have just joined the patrol. Because believe me, the guys that we just talked about have been around for 30 years. They're not going anywhere. Do you think it's an improvement to recall Jenny Durkin and install Lorena Gonzalez for the remainder of her term? I don't, th I don't think that's going to happen. I don't. I, th I think Jenny will keep her job, and I don't think she has done anything here to lose her job. But again, at the same time, uh, a lot of our mayors here in, in the city of Seattle have not been good communicators uh, for some reason. But if you go back to someone like Norm Rice, he was a good communicator. If you go back Greg Nichols, good communicator. Mayor Jenny Durkin, 
Not a great communicator. Mayor Dumpsterfire, who I know you love, uh, not a great communicator and likes little boys. It's the Ron and Don <laughs> Show. It's the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for stopping by, you guys, and listening today. We really appreciate you listening to episode 151. And would you do us a favor? Please just share it with your friends. Share it on your social media channels. And also, hit that subscribe button. All right? We'll see you next time for episode 152. Again, he's Ron. I'm Don. Our website is ronanddonsitdown.com. That's ronanddonsitdown.com. And let's sit down today. All right? Head up. Shoulders back. See you next time. The Ron and Don Show. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, it's G-Force O'Neill, brains of this operation, and the voice of the Ron and Don Show. Well, that's it. Show's over. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Oh,